there, I'm Dr. Amy King, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is the most important medicine. If you're a professional who wants to have a greater impact in the lives of children and families by building resilience, this podcast is for you. Join us to become a trauma-informed champion by nurturing connections through relational health to help kids and families thrive. Every time you join me, you'll hear practical information and leave with tangible tools you can use every day. Hey friends, it's Dr. Amy, and we are here with a very special guest and friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Anu French. Dr. French is an artist, musician, yogini, author, and integrative pediatrician. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, double board certified in pediatrics and integrative medicine, with a fellowship training in integrative medicine and integrative psychiatry. She has special interest in integrative nutrition, healthcare equity, childhood mental health, and intergenerational resilience. She has been in clinical practice for over 28 years and melds her passion to provide affordable, accessible, integrative pediatric care with craftism through her affirmative art and her meditative music, all in her office in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, by the time you're done with this, um, everybody's going to want to move to St. Louis and be in your clinic. Um, but let me get let me say more about how amazing she is. She has really found balance through healing arts. After professional and personal burnout, Dr. French offers integrative resources she hopes will be helpful through her website, through her work, and her choice of meditation is walking in her backyard labyrinth, being a mindful partner to her beloved, and a mindful parent to her two precious daughters and their sweet dog. Dr. French, Anu, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. This is such an honor. I'm thrilled to have you. We've talked before, and I just knew that people would benefit so much from hearing about you and your work and your journey. Um, in addition to your incredibly impressive um, bio, is there anything else you would want people to know about you or what you're up to right now? You know, I, I, I think that when I listen to that, you know, I think, wow, that is integration for me because, you know, I, I really, really make an effort to practice what I'm preaching and I'm constantly aware of the fact that I'm, you know, it's a day at a time, a moment at a time building resilience for myself, my family, my patients. And so I see myself as a mother, a doctor, um, an advocate. Um, and then I also really see myself as someone who wants to build healthier communities through healthier kids. I mean, because I feel the ripple effect from seeing a child get empowered mm -hmm. by their this aware sudden awareness that I can take control of my health and I can heal innately is so powerful to witness and be part of those healing journeys and then see that ripple effect to the family and then the extended family and then the community and and then I really take it even further to to the world <laughs> you know it, it, it's so powerful that one um that one moment of awareness and so yeah and thank you so much again for having me on and just um really love everything that you're doing and congratulations on your book oh thank you the book. yeah I was waiting I remember when we talked last time you were talking about it and I saw that it was out and I was like this is so exciting yeah oh you're so sweet it's been a journey for sure <laughs> Um, you know, we'll talk more about this ripple effect and uh, children and families' intuitive ability to heal, but let's back up to move forward. 
Um, how did you move from pediatrics to integrative medicine? And, and talk to us about this journey of burnout and then self-healing and discovery. Absolutely. And again, I'm always grateful for an opportunity to tell my story. You know, I think there's a history, her story, the, the power of narrative medicine, right? Being able to share what we've been through and someone actually leaning in and listening with presence. My goodness, the healing of that. So again, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to just tell you my story. And I, you know, I was um, always interested in holistic methods of healing growing up in India and um, growing up with it, my grandparents, I mean, I think if they were alive today, they'd be, they'd chuckle and think, oh, you're practicing integrative medicine. I mean, we lived it. (laughs) (laughs) And there's really nothing to practice here. It's a way of life. But as I always, I think, feel their blessings. Um, But I was, you know, I was in practice. I'm, I'm almost 30 years in practice now, but about 15 years in, I was feeling burned out. There was a sort of a revolving door of, of sick children. I was, also sick myself. My daughters were very young at that time and they were sick too. And it felt like we were all on all this medicine and we weren't actually getting better. And um, I stumbled on Andrew Wiles Center for Integrative mm-hmm. Medicine. At that time it was Arizona Center's fellowship training for MDs. And I thought, well, let me do this. I mean, it looks interesting. It's something different. I didn't really ever think I was going to practice um, it actually, I just was like, oh, I, I need to figure out a way to, to find my way back to a sense of some sort of balance because I felt so out of balance. I was tired. I was sick. Um, I was, um, bored almost in a way, you mm-hmm. know, I had lost that spirit, that connection to source. And, and then after doing the fellowship, it sort of blew open this world, this global community of seekers and healers and pioneers and mentors and everybody was on this path of how do we offer um, a holistic way of 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 medicine but first heal ourselves you know the wounded healer healing ourselves healing our families and then taking it out into the community and that's where it started and I my children are such a huge I mean they're 20 and 17 now so this was a long time ago but they were so much an instrumental in bringing music and art sort of back into my life. These were things that I had grown up with and had put aside in a sense, you know, and had become very evidence-based, science-based, you know, like all in my head, had lost connection with heart. And having my children sort of brought that back in and doing art with them and creating music for them Started to, I started to find, my goodness, there's so much healing in this. And so um, that, along with the Integrative Medicine Fellowship training, set the sort of the foundation for, I was self-regulating, we were self-regulating as a family, and I was bringing that, those tools of self-regulation into my office. And so it was like this full circle mm-hmm. experience. So let me back up a little bit for healthcare professionals who might be listening to you thinking, oh, I'm not alone in this feeling of burnout. Um, I'm hearing you say things like, you know, I felt very much in my head and not in my heart. What what are other symptoms of burnout that you might point out in hindsight to a young physician or a physician who's in that space of burnout to kind of watch for? Yeah, I think, you know, 
getting up in the morning and feeling a sense of joy, a, a sense of, you know, purpose and just a sense of, you know, anticipation. Oh my goodness, what is this day going to bring? You know, I think that's really important to to reach for that every morning and got kind of like a litmus test for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, I think being tired, a sense of mental and physical and spiritual exhaustion, um, a sense of disconnection and isolation, really feeling like, gosh, I'm the only one going through this. I'm not feeling a sense of support from, you know, work or community or family, just really feeling unsupported. Um, and then just not having enough, um, you know, sort of the activity, activities of daily living and the activities of daily work, as I call it, becoming sort of a monotonous routine, mm-hmm. almost automatic. And I think that's where I talk about, you know, really, it's all in your head. You know, you, you get up, you do this, you get in the car, you go to work, you come back home, you, you know, just becoming extremely, sort of like assembly line life, I call it, you know. Yeah, and yeah some, some of those were the things that I experienced. And I don't even really think I really understood how far in I was until I was just not able to function, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important for training programs. And I think a lot more programs today are looking at the mental and physical health of people being trained and also having them understand and have have some insight and awareness into how they're coping Mm -hmm. and what resources they're bringing in um, to sort of this chaotic life that we all (laughs) are living. So... Yeah, so I want I want our listeners to really hear Dr. French say, right, when you're feeling disconnected, when you're no longer feeling joy, when you don't feel like you have purpose, when it feels like you're having to kind of dissociate or depersonalize every day to just get through work, those are all symptoms of burnout. I hear it, Dr. French hears it every day from people. And I love that you were talking about, you know, training residents differently. Um, and you mentioned a little bit ago, um, how your family had kind of, um, laughed about your practicing integrative medicine. I want us to remind people, right. That in the United States, at least, right. We're practicing Westernized medicine, but there's entire collectivistic, beautiful cultures that have been practicing integrative medicine for centuries. How, how, how would you today, if you got to have a magic wand, integrate some of that into what is happening for residents today? Sure. And I think uh, I love that acknowledgement because, you know, I, you know, stumbled on integrative medicine and to me, it was sort of like this new way of doing things, but it's really important to acknowledge indigenous cultures and other cultures around the world that have been, have, have had this innate wisdom back to the origin just knowing that we have medicine the medicine within us and within these um cultures and and um and these ways of practicing and and we are privileged and honored and very grateful to be able to bring those into what i would call a westernized or allopathic practice um there are actually you know through andrew wild center there are integrative medicine um, in residency programs, several across the country, and many, many years ago, as part of the pilot for pediatrics and family medicine, where we it was a, a hundred to two hundred hour ACGME accredited program, and 
what it was was a was um, a curriculum that the the residents could actually learn and it started off with burnout prevention and resilience building and then went into wow. what you do, yeah what you do for your patients and uh, it's it's well established in many um many residency programs across the country and it's available through their website um, for other programs who are interested and also they they have so many resources on there for individual physicians to to go and and to um to to gain insight and tools on how to bring sort of that resilience into day-to-day life yeah i'll Uh, I'll link up to his website in the show notes so that people have access to that as well as all of your work um, in addition for for those people who may not have the ability to do an integrative medicine residency though i'm hearing one foundational thing that you're saying which is how do we help young residents young practitioners so that 25 years later they're not wanting to leave medicine or 10 years later or sometimes i'm seeing first year attendings wanting to leave medicine already what i'm hearing you say is just as a foundational practice we need to teach them to tune into themselves gain coping tools and know the signs of burnout um absolutely i agree and i think it's really important um to understand the difference between you know some of the structural problems that we deal with being part of big hospital systems and 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 communities that put the responsibility of resilience on the individual okay you know i mean okay we're going to have a yoga class we're going to have a meditative process blah 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 okay sure that's great i think it's a start but also understanding that there needs to be structural changes to support the work life balance to affirm and acknowledge the value that people bring in the workspace those kinds of things are really important and um it is really um essential to have small daily you know routines and rituals um like we ground as a um, team in the mornings at work. I have a little singing bowl at my desk that I will start the morning off with some sound healing. And even if any everybody can't really gather all the time, they know that that's the time to sort of sit back, take a moment to breathe. Um, you know, if we have a traumatic experience in the office for some reason, we immediately regroup and check in and make sure everybody's feeling okay and go back to the singing bowl sometimes. Or we have our little squeeze balls of you know, sometimes we'll do some chair yoga or some breathing, um, some guided meditations, things like that. So I, I think it's possible to to bring those things into an office space um, for the team. That being said, it's also important to advocate for change at a structural level yes. so that people um, are not just giving out surveys, but actually listening to what the feedback is and making changes. Well, first of all, you're going to get about 300 applications to a new wellness <laughs> to your clinic, and everybody's going to want to move to St. Louis because who wouldn't want to be part of a clinical practice that is truly, I mean, really what we're talking about is a trauma-informed practice, right? That is practicing daily activities that help us be in touch with ourselves um, and are looking at systemic ways that we can heal. Um, but you've stumbled into one of my favorite topics, um, this idea of resilience. 
And I am 100% with you, right? We, we've put so much pressure on individuals, especially people from marginalized communities to say, oh, great job, you're so resilient, keep it up, right? Uh, eat better and sleep better and continue doing all of that. And I think we've really hurt the word resilience because people have confused resilience with grit or stick-to-itiveness. And, and tell me, your thoughts on this, but I really feel like resilience is about connected relationships. It's about community. It's about being in relationship. That's how we gain and learn about resilience. But tell me when you think about resilience, I know you spend a lot of time in this space as well. What what do you think of? Yeah, I mean, to me, it really is the ability to bounce back. I always have this visual of a ball, you know, mm-hmm. like just being tossed around all over the place and it always just bounces right back into your hands, you know? And so, um, you know, I think of the the levels of stress, right? You know, the, you know, the positive stress, you know, the tolerable stress and the toxic mm-hmm. stress, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I think we all have that innate ability to bounce back from certain levels of stress. And if we're taught that from a young age, <laughs> and then we have safe spaces, you know, to to have a traumatic experience and bounce back from. So, you know, having those just the safe space and also having the tools to understand that, you know, that I can learn how to do this. I can learn how to bounce back. Mm-hmm. It isn't, um, it's never, ever too late. Where like, I love Donna Nakawazi's, you know, we are all neurobiologically resilient. You know, that's so hopeful to me. It gives me, it's so empowering and so hopeful. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that the, 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 tra- the, the training of the trauma-informed team, you know, I mean, the AAP, you know, as you know, so many beautiful resources. I'm actually going, today I'm starting an ECHO training with them to, they just released a whole new training session, you know, on, on pattern, on the, you know, the, the pediatric approach to trauma treatment and resilience and, and all the, the various ways that we're trying to bring this into a pediatric practice in a way that's not re-traumatizing, right? So we have, you know, that kind of education that needs to happen, but also just in our offices, having spaces that are safe mm-hmm. for the staff and also for the patients and constantly reinforcing um the having a space that patients are seen and heard and affirmed um so that when they come back to us they leave feeling like okay some hope you know i can do this because i think that's the first step is that to to be resilient you have to believe that you can be resilient right mm-hmm. and so connection to the community the doctor's office the resources um, supporting that, but also building resilience within the intergenerational unit of the family, what that, whatever that might look like, mm-hmm. culturally, socioeconomically, you know, and also um, just having cultural competence around that. Yeah, I, I can't even tell you how many families that I've worked with that have experienced extreme intergenerational forms of trauma, whether that be abuse or addiction or emotional torment. Um, and when I tell them this can be different, you can, you can do this differently. Tell me what you want for your children. And, you know, so many people I think get caught up in like, they don't want to disparage their parents knowing that their parents did the very best that they could. And so if we start instead of a place of like, you know, what do you want for your children? 
right? We all want something better for the next generation. I think it really helps parents feel focused that they have the power to heal and build resilience with their kids. Absolutely. And I think of my own journey as a parent, right? I mean, you know, you know, we talk about these R's all the time in our office. I mean, you know, we talk, you know, Bruce Perry's, you know, you first have to regulate and relate before you respond. And then, you know, the AP has, you know, the, the three R's where you, you're trying to restore safety, you're trying to get back to a routine, and you're trying to regulate, you know, so just constantly trying to, to, again, work on those at an individual level, as a practitioner, as a mother, you know, teenagers and toddlers, not much difference, right? Yeah. Same. <laughs> and so, so I think that's, um, again, you're absolutely right when we're talking about building and resilience across generations, where we're kind of recognizing the strength of the parent and, and their trauma and how they're healing from that. And then their um you know hopes and dreams for the child and how they're helping their child also um re recover and respond and become resilient but really when we bring it in as an intergenerational concept then we just take away all these these concepts of blame they're mm -hmm. gone right it's not what you know what's wrong with you but you know what happened to you and it's been happening you know for eons right we're storing this intergenerational traumatic memories in our body but I always say but we're also we also have the incredible wisdom stored in our bodies given down from the ancestors that we can reach for and, and bring forth and and I and I talk with my own daughters I always say we're change makers and chain breakers right and I just want to do that for my own children absolutely do not want them to have to experience some of the, the patterns that I have recovered from and continue to work on personally and also helping to bring that to the office space. I, you just said something so beautiful and so profound. Not surprisingly, you just slid it in there, but I want you to break it down for listeners. What do you mean by being a change maker and a chain breaker? Breaker, yeah. So the, the chain breaker to me, I look, I feel... Like I can visualize some of these, what we call, you know, the epigenetic burdens of our ancestry. And by that, you know, the old thought process of like, oh, you know, your grandparents had diabetes, so you're going to have diabetes. You know, mm -hmm. these genes that we inherit that we know are blueprints, but we can completely change their expression based on lifestyle choices we make, how we think you know, how we relate to others, what we put in our bodies and on our bodies, how we move our bodies, you know, and how we stay present in the moment and how much rest we get, how much nature we get. All of those things can actually change the entire course of those chains. And I think when I say chain breaker, I'm thinking of the DNA, you know, that has kind of been passed down for generations and these, these um, false premises that we've been fed that, oh, if this happened, it's going to happen again. No, it does not have to happen again. So that's the change, chain breaker. The change maker is I am choosing to do things differently. So that's where, you know, we have the, the actual conscious, intentional choice that we make. And I'm choosing with my children to learn how to parent myself, to regulate myself and to actually relate to them before I respond. It's, a, it's, an, it's an absolute choice. It's not easy. 
and I'm not 100% successful, <laughs> but when I see my children put healthy boundaries down with me <laughs> and they're like, no, this is not helpful. I'm like, yes. So my, I'm doing my job because if they can put a healthy boundary with me, then they're going to be able to put a healthy boundary down in the world. So, so that's what I mean by that. Anu, when I hear you say that, I think about this um, young mom that I worked with probably 20 years ago. She was um, getting sober after some periods of really struggling with addiction. Um, she had a lot of intergenerational trauma and a lot of surviving that she had to do. Um, she was a young woman of color. She had this new baby whom she deeply loved, um, but was at risk of being taken from her by the system if she didn't, you know, um, reconcile her, her addiction. And I remember talking with her and her baby was crying as we were talking. And I said, you know, what's that feeling like in your body right now? And she had been so disembodied for so long. And she said, I really want to pick him up. And I said, then pick him up. And she said, but I've been told from my parents and my grandparents that I'll spoil him and he needs to learn how to survive. And I said, oh, I said, let's, let's watch what happens if you pick him up. Let's watch what happens to his body and your body. And so she picks up this baby and holds him and she just started weeping. Mm, yeah. That I think that's what you mean, right? Yeah, like she, yeah. she was a chain breaker in that moment. This child, yeah, go ahead, sorry. It chills, yeah, it just gives me chills, right? I can, you can, I can just feel the softening that happened in that moment, right? The walls that came down, even I can almost physically hear the chains that broke yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Like, because I, I can think of so many things that I was told, mm -hmm. you know, so many things that I was told and that I believed for so long and then just had no inner guidance. I had nowhere to turn. I was so dependent on other people telling me how to live my life and what was best for me. And it took you know, sort of the whole rising from the ashes, you know, mm -hmm. literally to find that inner guidance, that clear voice that you know is yours. And, and I think the hardest time to find that is when you're a new mother. Oh, you yeah. Know, my God, because you have so many people telling you what to do and you're postpartum and you're tired and hormonal and, and struggling so much, you know, already. And so I think, yeah, what a beautiful moment, really almost a somatic healing that happened for the baby and for the mother right mm -hmm. absolutely yeah mm -hmm. for example. I have a, a kind of a big question and that is if I'm a, a physician or a nurse practitioner listening I'm like oh my gosh this sounds amazing right like a singing bowl at the beginning of the day and affirmations for patients like what about RVUs and what about insurance and what about like you have to see like, you know, 18, 25 mm -hmm. patients a day to like, how do you respond to like, I can feel that in my system too, right? This like, push. yeah, yes. And that's where, you know, doing things, small things on a regular basis. And that's what I was talking about. Some of the rituals. Yes. We are still in very much in those models where we have to churn out a certain number of patients a day and, 
you know, we don't have an hour with a patient, you know, and so that's where, you know, obviously it's funny when sometimes people say, well, how do you do that in 30 minutes? And I said, but it's 30 years of experience that helped me yeah. do it in 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> you walk in and you, you don't have an agenda. You, you walk in, you're present to what the family wants and you're prioritizing what they need in that moment. And so it works in that 15, 20 minutes, instead of trying to fix the entire problem, you know, in 30 minutes. But I, I mean, I think for me, it's like washing my hands. I talk about this all the time is a very mindful moment for me because I walk into the room and say hello, and I go and wash my hands as I'm starting the conversation. And it is a moment for me to let go of what happened before and clear the slate. But it's also very, a very mindful process I imagine a lotus flower expanding in my hands I feel the water the soap you know it's only 30 seconds but it's 30 seconds before and after every patient so mm -hmm. that, that's what I mean by the rituals of coming back into the moment with every patient when you sit down at your desk and you're starting to type you can do a quick body scan it takes 30 seconds to feel your your toes in your shoes your hands in your lap your bottom on the chair your back against the chair to take a breath you know you're coming out of a room you're going into another room it takes again 10 seconds to do a four seven eight breath or a little square breath so i i, I when i say these things i really mean that them because you can bring them into a busy practice like that um again the structural changes are needed of course to move away from things like our views and productivity and so on and that those those are some advocacy that we have to still work on that being said you know we we want to increase accessibility and affordability right of patients and we want to see as many people as we can and so i i think that you can build these moments into into a practice um with with intention again again that conscious intention is really important and being able to drop into our heart and, and pediatrics is wonderful because you know i teach mindfulness to families as part of the exam and so I'm all often doing heart-centered breathing with kids or bio belly breathing with them or you know guided visualizations and things like that and so I am benefiting so much from that because you're, you're kind of if you're doing a mindful practice with every patient even if it's a minute you're getting the benefit of it too so I think it can really be done with that conscious intention being set and it starts with how you get to work in the morning and and, and set the tone for it. So I, I want our listeners to hear, right? There is a place to change medicine. There is a place for advocacy. There is a place, but in your practice, you are the change maker. You are creating mindful moments. You are connecting with families. Um, so I just, I love that centering for people that are listening. And, and, and whether you're listening and you're a healthcare practitioner or even, you know, an early childhood teacher or a home visitor, right? I, t I tell them the same thing on you. I'm like, before you go in to do that home visit, sit in your car for just a moment and do some deep breathing and connect with yourself so that you can walk into that space regulated for that family. Absolutely. Yeah. Just being, getting a sense of where you feel stressed in your body, you know, allowing that to soften, allowing it to ease. You know, not everybody connects with breath. Um, I know some people actually get more panicky or kind of like, oh my God, I don't think I'm breathing properly. <sighs> you know, so even just sitting down and doing, you know, just feeling your body in the car seat and just feeling where am I holding it? You know, for me, it's always in my jaw or my name. Right? Yeah, it's always here. <laughs> so just kind of going, you know, just kind of just feeling it, releasing it a little bit. You know, and I, I love... Um, 
some things that I talk about are like just imagining colors, you know, and just you're taking a breath in, but just more people who are visual, just letting it go, leaving your body or light coming into your body and colors leaving your body. So just trying to, if, if breath doesn't always work, you can always kind of do visualization or just even feeling where the stress is sitting in the body and letting it go. So I'm going to, in fact, uh, in the show notes, link to Anu's, she has so much work that she does around art as well. So, and if you're listening versus is watching us on YouTube, um, certainly take a moment to, to pop on and watch some of this video because the colors behind her and the artwork behind her are amazing. Um, I want to just uh, focus on something that I see behind you as a way to talk about how you practice medicine. So if you're watching Dr. French behind her, there's a music uh, treble clef, there's a lotus, there's an integrative medicine sign, there's a globe and there are concentric circles. I know so much about you just by looking at those symbols. Will you just say a little bit about how those pieces come together for you? Yeah, those, you know, it's so interesting because they're all, that's all my art. And then we kind of created these, this graphic design off of it. But, you know, the Lotus is the, a new wellness, you know. So for me, a new wellness is creating the healthier communities through healthier kids and empowering each child and each family to believe that they can get well that they are whole you know the the music is you know the the sound healing that saved me you know i say kind of went back to my own roots of vedic mantra and sanskrit mantra but really diving deeper into climatics and understanding how sound healing really clear, uh, clears us out energetically and and removes all of those blocks and brings us into harmony literally the dis harmony and the dis-ease is gone and you know the 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 little circles at the bottom uh that's the, the children's book I wrote with my children I, I am you you are me so kids six and under and we we were doing affirmative art together and then I just made it a book you know and because I really believe that children of that age really understand how we're all I am love I am peace I am connected I am you you are me and the the the, the globe is global advocacy so you know, just for me, it's like, how far can this ripple effect go if we can get one child in one family to start feeling better? And then, you know, the, 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 the caduceus you can see up there, it's kind of the caduceus, which is, you know, do no harm, the Hippocratic Oath. And then I've got um, the chakras in the center, which are you know, the oh. centers. And then we have the, the heart in there, because I, everything I, I hope to offer I want it to be heart centered, you know, because I, I do tend to live a lot of my life in, in my head. I'm I'm a nerd and I love data and I love information and I, I I really enjoy sharing it. But I always have to remind myself, you know, that all of that, you know, science is really empty without spirit. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just sitting here thinking um, we have all these people who are listening to this podcast and they're professionals, but they also are parents and moms and dads and husbands. And they're all sitting here thinking like, well, wait a second, my, my pediatrician doesn't do heart-centered breathing. <laughs> so I just feel like there's always hope for change, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think that um, they might be, <laughs> but they may not be letting, you know what I mean? I think because we are, we're so trained to have this separation right like so I think there might be a lot of people out there who are doing some of these practices in their own life mm -hmm. but they don't really think that it's something that you can bring into your practice but I think that everybody is open to 
to learning and 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 healing in community, healing together. It's just like I I mean I'm incredibly grateful for my work because every day and every moment and every interaction I call them holy encounters. You know that's the, the poem I wrote um, when I was thinking of our mission statement for our office when we opened it six years ago. It's like you know what is the mission statement? Is that that every encounter is a holy encounter? And it's an opportunity for healing for everybody in the in the in the in the in the moment. And the concept of the telecebo and the placebo, you know, the placebo being the patient's innate, you know, they they know that they're going to heal. They believe something is going to work. The telecebo is also important. That's the healing presence of the practitioner in the room. They wow. have to believe that what they're offering works. So if I tell a patient, Let's try this antibiotic. I think this might work. Or if I say this antibiotic is the best choice for your child and it's going to be a wonderful, successful treatment. There's a, there's a difference in how we, we present, um, you know, the healing modality, not just, you know, what it is, you know, scientifically and evidence-based. So I think those are really, really important. Yeah. I've never heard the, tele the telecebo before. That's beautiful. So everybody... Um, that's a, a, a practical little nugget to take away. This is this is a great maybe um, transition to the end of our, our time together. I have three what I call rapid fire questions, but okay. it doesn't mean you have to answer them quickly. Um, what is what is one thing that we're getting wrong about medicine right now? I think we don't have enough of a focus on prevention. You know, we're, we're just so focused on how do we deal with the acute situation, putting out the fire. And I think America is incredible. Like if you have, you know, acute trauma of the limb, if you have a heart attack, a stroke, you know, if you're, you know, all of, I mean, it's incredible what medicine can do for you. That being said, prevention, we don't have enough focus on ways to prevent disease. And I think we really need to, you know, I was at Capitol Hill in 2018. There was an integrative medicine caucus and it was wow. such a great experience to be part of integrative medicine for the underserved which is which you can you can link to that in um some of the stuff i sent you but they we had we were talking about how to get um holistic um things like massage and acupuncture and chiropractic care and you know yoga and things covered by insurance you know because those if we could invest in those then i think that we would really prevent so much inflammation and chronic disease down the road so that i think that that shift needs to happen I 100% agree. Um, tell me what's one thing that's just giving you energy and magic in your life right now? Right now? Um, <laughs> it's funny. I just posted on my public page yesterday, but I've discovered this thing called reverse coloring and, and it's new to me. Oh. It may not be new to listeners, but it, it's a book of art where the watercolor is already there. And then you just take a black pen and you create the picture by adding lines in and it sounds so simple but I have never experienced something this meditative oh. and this soothing I love it and they're all Kendra Norton's book is the one that I'm using but there's hundreds of books out there that you can get and I, I highly recommend people try it first of all it totally takes the pressure off because you know, you don't have to draw anything specific. You don't have to be an artist. You don't have to have any art background. You don't need any materials because mm -hmm. it's all there. You just need a black pen. Just so easy. And then you can, you, you just, you, you allow the pen to guide you. And it's just beautiful. There's, there's abstract 
stuff. There's stuff with flowers. There's stuff with, you know, you can kind of choose what you want, but that's what I've been doing. So it's called reverse coloring. It's like a twist. I, I love I it. I love this. It's so good for people like me who are, um, you know, like you said, kind of in, in our heads, academic based to just get into that creative side of ourselves. So maybe just turn on some music and do some reverse coloring. It's so addictive. I have to warn people <laughs> the warning because I'm like, can't wait to get to it every evening. I try to do something before I go to bed, either coloring, you know, I usually do coloring like mandala, coloring books and things. That's what I usually do. But now I've kind of gone to this and I'm like really enjoying this. And and I was skeptical going in. I was like, uh, I don't know what it, what's this going to do for me. And now I can't stop. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. OK, La last question. Fun question. Um, let's say it's nine or 10 or 11 o'clock at night and you just have like a little food craving. Um, <laughs> what do you reach for? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I like chocolate covered dried fruit. Oh, same. <laughs> My yeah. favorite is, is chocolate covered mangoes and oranges. How about you? Oh God. I like chocolate covered berries. Uh-huh. Like uh -huh. The acai berries, the blueberries. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just enough. It's just enough. You know, like even one piece of that mindfully eating it, it's just enough to get me over the little, you know, kind of like, Ooh, I'm going to go eat a whole chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, thank you so much. Um, Anu, you're a joy. Um, what you do in this world for medicine, for children, for families, um, for families who have experienced systemic and intergenerational traumas. Thank you for everything you're putting back into the world. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this conversation and I really Hope it is of value, you know, to people listening in. And I, you know, again, I'm always grateful for opportunities to share my story and also to, you know, continue to remind myself, you know, that we, we're all resilient and that mm -hmm. resilience is the little steps, the day-to-day -day steps, and we can all reach for it every day. It's always within, it's within our reach. And so this, these kinds of conversations just remind me for myself and for my own children and for my patients in my office that, you know, there's always hope. So it makes me so happy to, mm. to remind myself about that. So. Oh, thank you so much. We're going to start that with reverse coloring today. Yes. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye. Well, that's it friends. If you like what you're hearing here, please download my free resource called 10 Guiding Principles to Nurture Connection and Help Children and Families Thrive. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you. And keep sharing yours because your humanity will heal others. Bye for now.